Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with his sermon entitled, The Most Important Question, preached on January 29, 1995. Now, if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 16. This morning, I'm interested in calling your attention to the most important question that you can ever ask in your entire life. And that question has nothing to do with the country you are living in. It has nothing to do with the politics of the country. And that question has nothing to do with the best school in the world. That question has nothing to do with the best religion to get into. It has nothing to do with the best diet plan or the best philosophy. It has nothing to do the best way to stay fit and young. It has nothing to do with even the question, who am I? And it has nothing to do with the question, what is the meaning of life? It doesn't even deal with the question, does God exist? Or why people die? Or is there life after death? No, the most important question in the whole world, the most important question you can ask yourself in the entirety of your life, has nothing to do with any of these things. It has to do with the question we found in our reading of the scripture. And it is found in the 15th verse of the 16th chapter of St. Matthew. Who do you say that I am? Now let me tell you, it is a question that has to do with the destiny of your life. Everybody must ask that question. Rich or poor, educated, ignorant, Chinese or Japanese, black, white, it doesn't matter. And people of every religion must ask that question. And what is the question? Who is Jesus? That's the question. And Jesus asked this question to his disciples while he was in the region of Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, at the foot of Mount Hermon, about 9,200 feet high, Mount Hermon. It was a city built by Herod's son, Philip. And so he called it Caesarea Philippi to honor Tiberius Caesar and himself. And he called that name to distinguish Caesarea Philippi from Caesarea in the Mediterranean coast. It was a pagan place. And there was a temple at Caesarea Philippi dedicated to the Greek god Pan. And the place was known as Paneon. Today, it is known as Banias. And here you will see one of the sources of Jordan flowing from under the cave there. 
we also find quite a bit of archaeological excavation. And here, Jesus Christ brought his disciples in this pagan place, in this dark place of idolatry. There, Jesus stood as the light of the world. And he asked this important question. First, who do they say that I am? And of course, when you study the Gospels, we find various answers to this question. First, we discover the answers given by his enemies, people who hated Jesus Christ. When you read Matthew 11 and verse 19, and we read this, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Those who hated Jesus Christ, enemies of Jesus Christ, called him a glutton, a drunkard, and a sinner. And you also see elsewhere, Mark chapter 3 and verse 22, he was called Beelzebul, prince of demons. And if you turn to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 8 and verse 48, we find this statement. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan, which means a half-breed, and demon-possessed? There you have the opinion of those who hated Jesus Christ with perfect hatred. And then there were others who gave these answers, which are listed in our reading today. And verse 14 of this 16th chapter of Matthew, some say John the Baptist. We know Herod Antipas, that fox, he thought Jesus Christ was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Others thought he was Elijah who was to come preparing the way of the Lord. And we read about this in the book of Malachi, chapter 4 and verse 5. And others said he may be Jeremiah, who was killed long ago but came to life. Others said one of the prophets. But you notice the opinion of people whose eyes are not enlightened by the Heavenly Father. They all were wrong in their view of who Jesus was. The best they could say was that he is a prophet. And of course you know that Jesus Christ himself revealed his identity to people like the Samaritan woman. But let's, let's move on. Let's ask this question. What is the view of liberal theology? Ask them. 
Liberalism came in in the 19th century. Liberalism that repudiated the authority of Scripture and the deity of Jesus Christ. Liberalism that eliminated supernaturalism from the Scriptures. You ask a liberal Christian, a liberal preacher, you ask the head of a liberal denomination, ask the question, who do you say that I am, that Jesus Christ is? They would answer that Jesus Christ is a nice man. He was a prophet. He was a teacher. He was an ethical man. He was a revolutionary. He was a socialist. Or he was an ideal man. He was the ideal man. But let me tell you, they are false and they are wrong because their eyes have not been enlightened and opened by the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. You ask the cult. Let's look at the view of Mormons. Ask a Mormon, who is Jesus Christ? And the Mormon would say, Jesus Christ is not different from you in kind. Jesus Christ is not different from Satan in kind. You ask a Jehovah's Witness, who is Jesus Christ? And Jehovah's Witness would say, he is a creature. He was an angel. And he became man. Now he is again an angel with immortality. Every cult, every cult and liberal theology will reduce our Jesus Christ into a creature into simply a prophet or a man because they are not regenerated by the Holy Spirit from above. Without the regeneration by the mighty Spirit of God, a person's view of Jesus is always below par. They will look upon him as a person. He'll be false and wrong in his assessment of his person as well as his work. But then, look at the question, verse 15. And there is an emphasis here. What is your view? You, different from the enemies and different from the multitude of people out there. What's your view? Who do you say that I am? And the answer is, the question was put to all of the disciples, and here Peter, as the spokesperson for the disciples, gives the answer. What is the answer? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do you mean? by Christ, the one that was promised long ago in the Old Testament. The Bible speaks about Christ. Now let's look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. Christ means anointed one, the one who is anointed to fulfill the work of a certain office. And in the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy and the 15th verse, we find this statement. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet 
like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And God himself appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration and said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Christ means, number one, he is the anointed prophet. He is the teacher. He is the one who declares truth to people. And to him, the world must listen, not to anybody else. He alone is truth. And he alone declares truth concerning you and concerning God and concerning how an individual can be saved. No person in the world can tell you how to be saved. It is Jesus Christ who declares to you. And so we are told, listen to him. And the people of today are listening to everybody else but to Jesus Christ. And not only that, he's a prophet, but he's also the priest. Prophesied in the Old Testament, 110 the Psalm. And verse 4, the Lord has sown and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is our high priest who offered himself for our salvation, once for all, and secured our salvation. Then God opens the eyes of an individual through the miracle of regeneration. You will have profound understanding into the great and glorious person of our Jesus Christ. And you would say, he is the great high priest. And not only that, Messiah means Anointed one means he is anointed to be king. King of the universe and king of you and king of me. And let's look at Psalm chapter 2, second Psalm. And second Psalm speaks about the kingship of Jesus Christ. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Jesus Christ is anointed to be king. And you read this again in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Behold, your king is coming. Jesus Christ is prophet. Jesus Christ is the priest. And Jesus Christ is the king. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. And we are told about this kingship of Christ in verse 33 the angel is saying and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever his kingdom will never end or in the same gospel of Matthew the 26th chapter and we read look at verse 63 and 64 I charge you the high priest said to him I charge you under oath why the living God tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God? And look at the reply of Jesus. Yes, it is as you say that I am Christ, the Son of God. I am the prophet, the one who tells truth and declares truth. And I am the priest and I am the king. All rolled into one person. All three offices 
filled by the second person of the Trinity. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven to rule, to judge, and to reign. Everyone who spoke and who said, you are a glutton and a Samaritan and Beelzebub and demon-possessed, and to others who said, you are a nice prophet, he is coming to church. Yes, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does that mean, the Son of the living God? means he is God. Jesus Christ is God. Have you understood that? Let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Remember, his own disciples, many of them left him. They said, you are saying is very hard that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so on. Jesus, in the 67th verse of chapter 6 of John, asked this question, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This means no one in the whole wide world has words of eternal life. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, we believe and know, we are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the one who gives words of eternal life, nobody else. I feel sorry for you if you are a liberal Christian, if you are in the cult. I say that you are deceived totally and completely. Satan, the god of this world, has blinded your eyes from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Satan wants to damn you and send you to hell. And the only way to secure this is by keeping you from seeing who Jesus Christ is. Holy One of God, words of eternal life he has. In the 10th chapter of John and verse 28, Jesus Christ says this, I give them eternal life. Can anybody in the world can make that statement? I give them eternal life. Nobody can give eternal life but Jesus Christ. To the Samaritan woman, this woman of ill repute, Jesus said, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah who can give you water that will stop your thirst forever. And in Mark chapter 2, he says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he says to this paralytic man, ah, your sins have been forgiven. And his enemies understood, only God can forgive sin. That's right, Jesus Christ is God. And he forgives sins 
our sin. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, then your sins are not forgiven. The wrath of God is abiding upon you right now. Jesus himself said, before Abraham was born, I am. He is the eternal I am. Self-sufficient, self-existing, mighty God became man. And as we just read in Matthew 26, 63 and 64, Jesus Christ before the Sanhedrin says, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he also said in John chapter 10, verse 30 and 33, I and the Father are one. His enemies understood that he was claiming to be God. He understood that. Jesus Christ himself said, the 28th chapter of Matthew, I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. Lord of your life and my life, whether anyone recognizes it or not. The truth is, he is, and he alone is the Lord. Now we come to this statement of Jesus as we turn to Matthew 16. This miracle, how in the world can Peter, or anybody else for that matter, Confess this great, good, true confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is an absolute impossibility. Why? Because all are sinners. Why? Because a sinner is an enemy of God in his thought and in his mind. Because a sinner hates God with a perfect hatred. Because the natural man doesn't understand things that are spiritual. That's why. How can you, Peter, say this? That I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For this was not revealed to you by man. Let me assure you, no human being by his research and by his brilliance, by consulting books, come to the understanding that Jesus Christ is God, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. It is only by means of a divine and heavenly revelation into the depths of our being. Blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And let me assure you that our Father in heaven will see to it that the elect are given this divine enlightenment into the innermost being so that every elect will come to make this good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. 
Now let's look in the Gospel of Matthew itself in the 11th chapter. Beginning with verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. The wise and the learned who will call him a prophet, a Samaritan, a sinner, a glutton, a drunkard, a nice man, an ideal person, a socialist, a revolutionary. But notice, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Let me tell you, nobody by their research can come to appreciate the person of Jesus. It is a revelation of the Heavenly Father, not to the wise and the prudent and the smart alecks of the world. The Nobel Prize winners of the world are not the ones who confess the good confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Who confesses this confession? Only those who have been regenerated. Jesus said, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And it is the Spirit that recognizes the glorious transcendent person of Jesus. Yes, it is the good pleasure of the Heavenly Father. He saves whom He wants to save. He shows mercy to whomever He wants to show mercy. And He hardens those He wants to harden. And that's the way it is. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The triune God is in the business of revealing the glorious person of Jesus to the elect from all eternity. And look at this statement again in the 16th chapter. Amazing statement. And verse 17, Blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon Bariona. And you know that you bumped into that term, blessed, in the fifth chapter. In the Sermon on the Mount, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Meaning, blessed are those who consider themselves to be sinners. And will sing that hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That is the blessed person. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, because their hearts ache, and they have their hearts pain because of the sin. For they will be comforted. Oh, it is wonderful to hear the utterance from the mouth of Jesus Christ that you are blessed. That's what I want to hear. Blessed are you. The big question is, again, that is unbelievable. That we believe in the universality of sin and the total depravity of every human being. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, we all are cursed. 
And if God looks upon me and says, Cursed are you, I will not argue with him. He is simply making the correct statement. Cursed are you. But here we read this amazing divine benediction. Blessed are you. Meaning that you are a child of God. You are saved eternally. You have entered into the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't be translated, happy are you. That has reference to your feeling. But it is speaking about the state of the person. I'm a blessed person. Now and tomorrow and every day of my life. Who said so? Jesus Christ himself said it. And his word abides forever. Blessed are you. Let's turn to the book of Galatians. And see what St. Paul is speaking. In chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. Everyone is cursed because everyone has transgressed the law of God. Now I say it is a miracle to hear this benediction from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Yona. How can that be, is the question. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Every Christian must wonder and marvel every day of his life. For this divine benediction placed upon him. And we read in the 13th verse of Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse. Let me ask you this question. Has God spoken to you this way? Blessed are you. If not, you are abiding in the wrath of God and in the curse of God. And that is an extremely serious condition to be in. The wrath of God abides upon you forever. What is the basis for this blessedness? And we just saw that, that Christ became cursed for us. And so let's turn to Matthew 16th chapter, right after this glorious confession of St. Peter. He reveals something that is extremely important. In verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Without that going to Jerusalem and suffering many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day to be raised to life, he must become cursed to take away our curse. That is the secret of it. He says, I must do it. This is a divine necessity put upon Jesus Christ. And we read in the 20th chapter of Matthew and verse 28, Jesus was fully aware of the purpose of his life. 
And here we read in the 28th verse, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10 and the 45th verse. Here again, we are clearly told of the purpose of his life. Mark 10 and verse 45. And here we read this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, let's turn to the book of, the book of Acts. St. Peter himself understood this, and he makes this statement in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. And we read this. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Or chapter 3 and verse 18 of the book of Acts. Here we read, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. basis of this benediction is that he who knew no sin became sin for us and cursed for us. The blessed one became the cursed one so that the cursed ones become blessed ones in him. And not only that, we are told, I will build my church. I will build my church. The builder of the church is Jesus Christ. And the owner of the church is Jesus Christ. I'll build my church. See the security that you and I have in Jesus Christ. And he is also the defender of the church. And he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. He's the builder. He's the owner. He's the defender. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. And we read concerning our security. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that amazing? Unconquerable church. The gates of hell shall crumble before the church of Jesus Christ because it is built by him, possessed by him, defended by him always. Can death separate us from the love of God? No. Can life can the present, can the future, can the height, can the depth, can any other creation, nothing in the whole world can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What is your view of Jesus? A prophet, a teacher, a nice man, the ideal man? If so, let me say you are doomed. And it is my prayer May God open your eyes and give you insight through divine regeneration into the person of Christ and to his saving work that you may see him 
as greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, that you may see him as the Christ, the Son of God, God himself, the eternal I am, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the judge of all the earth, who is coming in the glory of his Father with angels. And his dominion is forever and ever. And this one is the one today invites you by saying, come unto me, all those who labor and are heavily laden. I will give you rest. Isn't that wonderful? Salvation, Peter says, is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. And yet look at liberalism. Look at the proliferation of cults. And all these things are promoting a way of salvation to human beings. Let me tell you, it is all a lie. There is no other Savior. Jesus Christ alone is the Savior. As God and Savior. May God help us to worship and bow down before Him and adore Him, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.